Welcome to a Black Movie Podcast, where we celebrate Black culture through its cinema by reviewing and discussing Black-led films from a range of different genres and time periods. I'm Ryan. This movie's bad. I'm James. I'm Andre. And I'm Lauren. And the the movie that is bad this week that James uh, so wonderfully alluded to is School Days. School Days is a Spike Lee joint. In fact, his second feature film from 1988, it stars a plethora of Black TV and movie all-stars, including uh, Lawrence Fishburne, who might be on the board right now as our most talked about actor. Sings how he's been in three films, I think we've done. Yeah, as, as well as Tisha Campbell of Martin fame and Little Shop of Horrors. Of course, can't denigrate Little Shop of Horrors. And it's a movie about about life on the campus of a fictional HBCU, a fictional historically black college university called, uh, called Mission, Mission, Mission College. Was it Mission College or Mission University? I think it was Mission College. The movie is focused on the conflict between the more conscious, you know, Afrocentric, ra- Afrocentric radical Fishburne's character, Dab Dunlop, um, which is a great name, and the fraternity and sorority world that is kind of pulling in the opposite direction. The movie is a drama, but it's also kind of a musical. And the the quizzical tone of my voice, I think, gives you as much information about how much that fits uh but it definitely tried to do both of those things i'm curious to hear the rest of the group's initial thoughts on this this was a pick of mine and i'll explain it when we get to when we get all the way back around to me uh so lauren i'm curious what were your thoughts on school days so i want to quote a great philosopher this movie is bad (laughs) 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 that's basically that's the long and the short of it. This movie is, honestly, it's not even bad in a great way where you just engage in how bad it is and you love it and you watch it because it's bad. It's not that kind of bad. It's just legitimately bad. It's just a bad film. Like it's, the techniques are bad. The acting is, is bad. The writing is bad. I think there's a story. There was part of a story at the beginning, but then that got dropped. Elva is just a travesty of a film. Andre, what do you think about the movie? So y'all ever had that friend that you see go pick up a girl and you're looking at him and you see him it's like why is he why is he doing that like why is he you know dancing or whatever he's doing over there like why is he doing that like you're trying too hard or you're doing too much that was basically this film <laughs> it was just trying to do way too much and it's just it was it was mind-boggling, like, how easy it was to get lost just because it was doing something for too long, or it would just throw in a random, like, subplot that was like, wait a minute, how, like, how does this fit? Or, like, oh, so we're talking about that now? Or it, it just, it was too much. Uh, James, can you expound on why this movie is bad? So, this movie is interesting <laughs> because... It tr- it tries to do too much, as everyone else says. The things it tries to do, I think, are actually really cool. Like, there are a lot of themes and ideas that are expressed in this movie that maybe in 88 were not really expressed very often. You know, contentious parts of African-American society that I think could have made a really interesting movie if literally any part of the movie had been good. 
but the problem is that every part of it did a disservice to the core idea that I think Spike was trying to get at and instead tried to make it, it's really more like a whole bunch of 15 minute episodes of a show when that show is actually an hour long. And so you're watching 15 minute pieces of what could be an interesting story, but just isn't when stitched together in this way. With that said, it did make me appreciate Spike Lee a lot because it shows to me that he can actually make bad movies and still turn into making good movies later. So that part's cool. Yeah, like I, I think that like that actually plays into a bit of why I selected this one, partly because I think that the highs of Spike Lee, you know, we discuss incessantly. He's held up as like the black movie auteur for the majority of my life. But looking back at school days, it very much feels like the start of a whole lot of where he ended up going. His first movie, She's Gotta Have It, was made on a shoestring budget. Spike ended up with a pretty ridiculous $6 million budget for this oh. at the time. And it shows because they spent it all on things that I can't comprehend. In the filming of this movie, Spike Lee got kicked off the campuses of Morehouse and Spellman <laughs> and I believe Clark Atlanta. And he finished filming at Morris Brown. This went through like a couple of different production companies, but the acting talent that was on hand for this movie, Lawrence Fish, Fishburne, uh, Giancarlo Esposito, a.k.a. the antagonist you never want to see opposite you in a story, because you know if you see Giancarlo, you're going to have a bad time. Tisha Campbell, we talked about, but also a bunch of the actors from A Different World, which came out at just around the same time. A Different World, uh, Debbie Allen's uh, Cosby Show spinoff about life at a different fictional HBCU. All those actors were also just kind of here. Kadeem Hardison, you know, who played Dwayne Wayne, uh, is is here as one of Dapp's friends. You have all this ridiculous acting talent that they have here, and Spike Lee casts himself, which I think is actually pretty uh, pretty on point. Spike uh, wrote, directed, and produced this film, and I think James is right that it goes through a lot of themes that I think are interesting. Why I chose it for this podcast is twofold. One is you can see the roots of, well, for lack of a better word, uh, you see the root, the roots of a lot of Spike's future directions in this movie. And that's for good and bad. You see a lot of Spike's random homophobia show up, um, his weird, weirdly bad sexual politics and his inability to do right by his female characters kind of solidified right here and doesn't really get better. It's kind of ossified in place. However, you also see the idea of him making a film specifically for a black audience and for a black gaze um, showing up in this movie. This isn't a movie that was that felt like it was being made for white audiences to get a glimpse into black life. The, the things that he he tried to tackle in this movie, colorism debates, um, even though he did it in some absolutely insane ways we'll have to talk about later, <laughs> colorism debates. You know, issues around uh, around black Greek letter organizations, campus life. There's all sorts of like there, there was town and gown conflicts, issues of feeling like getting education was was contrary to what to what other people like contrary to how the people in the town saw the students. I thought that there was so many things that they were trying to get across and they never got anywhere with most of those plots. There was a divestment from apartheid plot that starts off this movie. 
that's incredibly strong and it just disappears. It goes missing. It is on the back of a milk carton and it was actually compelling. And then it just fades to oblivion. Nobody remembers. And while I think that this movie is like a missed opportunity on top of a missed opportunity, I do think it's important in terms of being able to understand Spike Lee films because you start to see the tells and the the point of view is really solidified here. And I thought that that was worth kind of exploring a bit. I understand your justification, but you still made me watch this movie. To, to be fair, <laughs> I remembered lots of important things about this movie. I forgot almost all the musical numbers. I apparently suppressed those memories. There's a reason for that. You are correct. The first musical number in the movie is good and bad hair. It is literally basically the light-skinned girls and the dark-skinned girls doing a musical number in a salon that comes out of nowhere. Like, you don't know that this is a musical before that starts. And they sing an entirely way too long piece with maybe a six and a half, seven minute choreographed dance number. It might be longer than that. And apparently none of it was actually real because it kind of snaps right back to the confrontation between two characters that kind of sparks it off, which made me really mad because like, if you're going to do all that and should at least be real, let's talk about the, the music thing is that's one of the things I think that worked the least. Anybody have thoughts on how, how much that harmed the pacing and structure of the film? So much. It harmed it so much. Like I have in my notes for this movie, this movie over and over again, like, why is this a musical number? Uh, there's a lot of symbology in like that first, you know, good hair, bad hair musical number. But honestly, I just don't care because the scene is so annoying. So annoying that I mostly just fixated on when will this be over and not on like, what are they trying to get across to me? This, this film is a perfect example of what happens when you let someone who knows nothing about musicals direct a musical. It's like watching a collection of randomly display, like randomly placed bad, cheap music videos from the early 80s, like something that you would see in The Last Dragon's terrible music video show featured just after DeBarge, right? When they go to the like second tier content, it's that kind of musical sequences. The camera placement is weird. The vocals are typically fine, but the lyrics are odd. The music is odd. And every one of those scenes goes on like, Two and a half times too long. Yeah. I feel like you just described a Rob Zombie horror movie as well. Yes. Yes, I did. Get a lot of things done with this particular podcast session. <laughs> Covered a lot of ground. Yeah, I'm not a musical guy in general. Like I, I don't care that much for musicals. But usually songs in musicals tell some sort of story or or have some sort of not necessarily like a plot, but some sort of through line. And the fact that you could sum up this entire musical number with light skinned girls think that you should be able to put products in your hair to make it good and dark skinned girls like the natural hair. And that's literally the entire like point of this seven minute long dance number thing and you have no real resolution from that conflict afterwards is like why just don't do it just don't it's it's cool you don't have to nobody makes you what what's worse is that it's that's still one of the more defined like well-defined conflicts in the movie and even then there's almost no characterization given to pretty much any of the women in the in the number <laughs> You know, you hear from Rachel, who's Dap's on-again, off-again girlfriend, and Jane, who is the head of the wannabes, uh, the light-skinned, long-haired girls. 
And yeah, there, there's a number of things, a uh, number of times where it feels like what Spike was trying to do was, you know, he saw all these conflicts that, that he, that he felt happen on historically black college campuses and he wanted to just dramatize those things. But he did just did a really piss poor job of tying any of them together into any kind of plot. There were, there were so many options that the plot could have gone in and they just didn't. Uh, we never find out about Rachel actually pledging Delta and, and the relationship that, and, and the pressure it would cause on her relationship with her vehemently anti-Greek uh, boyfriend, uh, boyfriend Dap. The, the fake fraternity that Spike Lee's character is pledging is honestly like, I, I think I know that one of the stories was that the reason they got kicked off of all these college campuses was because they felt like they were going to show HBCUs in a bad light in this movie. And I definitely don't think that was the intention, but it's hard not to see the fake black frat with like the the G's literally written on their head for Gamma Phi Gamma doing a bunch of like crazy, ridiculous stuff and not feel like, oh, maybe we're being made a little too fun, like a little too much fun of. I mean, we were about three minutes into the movie when my husband who was watching with me said, this is basically just the black version of PCU. Oh, God. And I was like, maybe. <laughs> it took me back because at first I was going to say, no, of course not. I'm like, no, no, let me think about it. Yep. Yep. That's what this is. But with music. Horrible, horrible well, I was music. Say, PCU was funny. It was, and PCU was funny. It had George Clinton in it. So it had a lot of things going for it. This one does not. But otherwise, the general, like, the general synthesis of the campus dynamics and the Greek system versus everybody else kind of thing all played out relatively similarly. Um, and while those are, I think, things dynamics that play out on lots of different campuses, I don't think that it painted HBCUs in a bad light. It actually just made them somewhat more normalized because these sorts of things happen on other campuses too. But it just made you wonder why the film is tackling these particular issues, which were good issues in this way, which again, made no sense. The right issue, the, the, the right issues, the absolute, wrong for in some cases the absolute wrong message which i don't know how you got that wrong but i think that like combined this combined with a different world did do a lot especially for folks like me who grew up in michigan and you're not near a historically black college anywhere and but until i got a chance to go take a tour this was the the image that i had of hbcus was from this movie and from a different world and that itself is not the greatest, but it was like a bit of visibility into, hey, there's a whole world of colleges with different environments than the comedies and stuff that you're watching, comedy sitcoms you're watching about college at, you know, predominantly white schools. I wish that this movie had done a lot of things, but one of the things that I, I think could have been really interesting with this location and this sort of background is showing some of the sort of interesting not necessarily politics but like the 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 what's different about going to a historically black college like that's a unique experience that most people in the world will not have and like i grew up in the near vicinity of several historically black colleges and even i don't have a super solid understanding of what that experience was like having not gone to one this i think really could have been a chance to highlight that as well as tackling some of these other issues if spike lee was just better at least at this time 
So I'm a little bit sad that this didn't really handle that particularly well. So I wanted to get your thoughts on some of the characters and acting in this movie. I mentioned that the, the cast is, has all gone on to do like pretty amazing things, but you know, like for me, I, I really enjoyed like always Lawrence Fishburne because apparently that is just uh, a load, a load star of, uh, of a point in my, my, like I see him in my brain says that's acting in a way that is not always commiserate with his actual performance. And also, like, he capped his teeth for this movie and didn't have the gap, and I'm kind of bothered by that. The things I notice um, for these rewatches is re- getting really narrow. But yeah, I-, I felt like a lot of the performances left a lot on the table and made it hard to relate to some of the characters. I'm curious what you all thought. I said in the beginning that the acting in this movie was bad, um, because it is. Uh, I don't blame the actors for that, though I blame the fact that the script is terrible, for one thing. And then I suspect they were getting coaching from the director to essentially ham it up a little bit. Because even Giancarlo Esposito, who's an amazing actor and a wonderful like credit to his profession and the silver screen, big and small, is completely overacting in almost every scene he's in. And it's very jarring and, and uncomfortable. I think the only person who's not actually overacting most of the time is, oddly enough, Fishburne, who gives like the most measured performance of almost anyone in the entire production. And that's really saying something to some extent. And that's part of what makes everything seem so silly. Like you've got these really important topics, but everyone's just acting so silly and stupid. And their and their acting is, is not particularly compelling or realistic most of the time. And that gets somewhat a, that becomes even more in focus towards the end when you have Samuel Jackson cameoing. In a, in a weird-ish role, even for Samuel L. Jackson, which is also, again, saying something. Oh, you have not seen some of his weird roles. That's why I said, you know, <laughs> even for him, he's even got a lot of weird him, roles. That wasn't that bad. <laughs> it's a little bit weird. At least it was at the time. Uh, but the acting is really just terrible, and the characters themselves don't make like have any real depth to them, for the most part. Like, either they're over-the-top villains... Or their weird depictions of really pro-African characters without any actual depth to show like why that's an important topic to be passionate about. And a treatment of women is just typically bad and continues to be bad here as well. With both the way the women treat each other, the things that they talk about and focus on, the way they're treated by the men in the in the film, particularly towards the end, I won't spoil that part yet, but like none of it's good. I'd argue that it was solid or okay acting, but it was just the characters were so bad and lacked so much depth that it just, like, ruined everything uh, for anyone that was in this movie. Whereas just, kind of, like, no one felt like a real person. It felt like like watching, like, a stage musical, but no one had any sort of development, so you never really sympathize with anyone. And it kind of, you didn't really go with the sort of overly dramatic acting. And so, yeah, I'm with you guys. This was just bad. <laughs> yeah, I think I agree that, like, the characters are really sort of strange. It's interesting in this movie that there's a antagonist, I would say, but there's no real protagonist. There's no character that you're like, 
okay, I'm, maybe you're not a good character, you know, because not all protagonists necessarily are good guys, but like, there's not even someone where you're like, can attach to and be like, this is the thread that I'm going to follow that's going to lead me to a, you know, a conclusion in the movie or, or, or anything sort of like that. I, I guess Dap is supposed to be that, but he's only really focused for maybe half of the runtime of the movie. I don't even know because like, I couldn't even tell how long I was watching it while I was watching it. But I, I agree that like the characters are underserved by the material they have. Clearly, the actors, maybe not Spike Lee, but some of the other actors clearly can act. And so the fact that this kind of came out of it leads me to believe that something else is up. It's It's almost like... This is going to be a weird comparison, but it reminds me a lot of the prequel trilogy of the Star Wars movies where where you have some potentially really, really good quality actors and then the house around them just falls apart. And that's sort of how I felt about the acting in this movie. And I felt that the characters inside, like the internal characters in the movie were sort of dealing with that same thing of like, we have this really cool nugget. And then just everything around us doesn't make any sense, so we can't do anything with it. No, yeah, I, I think that 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 that's actually a pretty good insight uh, into this because Spike in his so- sophomore movie did a whole lot to just kind of overdo things with this movie. Uh, one of the pieces of trivia that did stick with me was uh, there's a step scene in the movie, which I, I feel like was there just because it's a movie at HBCU. And they talk about the black frats, like the the fallout from the actual step show turned into a fight. That fight was apparently real. That was not staged. <laughs> what? So apparently what happened is that Spike Lee, in order to inflame the tensions between the factions that he set up in the plot, because he's responsible for all of this mess, he actually housed the the actresses from the uh like from the jigaboos the uh the good old racial slur that just gets thrown around like 80 times an hour in this movie for like the the students with natural hair and were were in worse living conditions than the wannabes the you know light-skinned straight hair girls for the whole set and to make them matter at each other which is some crazy shit and very much uh you know like i read I read Martin Scorsese did a thing sometimes, so I'm going to do it to my crew just feels like that's exactly what happened. So yeah, so that fight uh, turn, turns from stage to real somewhere in there. You can actually see some of the, uh, some of the things, things turn into real punches and parts of this movie also made me want to fight. So I kind of understand. PSA to any actor, actresses that happen to be listening to this podcast, you probably don't want to work with Spike Lee. Just like, just to probably just it's putting that out it. there into the world, you might want to rethink that connection. There, there should be like a fridging, you know, like a, like like bad character arc, you know, block list for for directors. You could throw Spike Lee on there. You could throw Joss Whedon. I'm trying to think of who else always has the, the women in in their movies just suffer terrible fates and never be happy. Michael Bay. It was just like the super male gaze of the camera, which was really weird. I'm not even sure like how to describe the gaze of the camera most of the time in this movie, because honestly, when most of the camera placements didn't make a lot of sense, but there were several scenes 
that really proved to me that what I never need in my life is a Spike Lee directed sex scene, particularly if that scene stars oh Lawrence Fishburne, just generally speaking, or any person licking another person's scalp. Like that's what I learned for this or, movie. Or brands. <laughs> or brands. Or brands. Things I just never need to have in a movie at all, or in a sex scene in a movie. Just go ahead and get the elephant out of the room. Spike Lee clearly has a thing for people licking each other in weird ways. I do not kink shame if that's your thing. Have at it. This was not for me. And and it I've never seen a movie kill a mood so quickly. <laughs> that that I feel like that's the like we we found the subtitle for this episode uh which is school school days. We promise we're not kink shaming Spike Lee. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm kind of a little bit, yeah. This is up there with Tarantino's feet, but somehow even worse. And it just didn't need to happen. But even even outside of that, they're like in the in Lawrence Fishburne sex scene. I just kept wondering, like, why are they wet? You're in like a dorm room, dress <laughs> sheets. You're super wet. Is it? Is I get it's Atlanta. Is it just super humid in your room? What's happening exactly? It's there were weird stylistic choices about the sex scenes that I don't understand. Not on a fan. Right. Maybe get out from underneath the sheet. I don't know. Make Open other choices. Window, anything. <laughs> it's just weird things that don't need to happen. Otherwise, the scene could have been fine. But he kept making little choices about what he thought the scene needed to be that at the time just felt like, I don't know, a 15-year-old kid who's written his first film and thinks this is like what adults are like. But actually, apparently got $6 million to produce it. Apparently, like... I mean, there there were like six of them too. Like it wasn't like it was just like the one bad scene you have to get over. It was like, right, we're doing this again with the same bad angles and the same poor lighting. Great, great, got it. Thanks. Yeah. Um. So so moving on from well, actually, let's move from bad sex scene into bad sexual politics in terms of thinking about themes. How about that segue? One of the themes that that definitely did feel like it showed up was was colorism that I that they tried to do a whole lot with. And I think that they tried really hard and failed to do uh much with that. The the issues around the fraternity, uh Gamma Phi Gamma, which for the record just feels like a straightforward mashup of Alpha Phi Alpha and Omega Sci Fi, that just is just kind of out there. The way that the women were treated in <laughs> in the Gamma house is just kind of ridiculous. There's so much focus on characters getting laid that doesn't actually contribute to character development or plot development for the most part, save what we'll get to at the spoiler section of like the worst rising action of a movie ever. ever. Actually, you mentioned the spoiler section. Do we need to have a spoiler section for a movie we tell people not to watch? Maybe not. Okay. I'm going to let the ad lib go and we can yeah, just get I into it. Yeah, I think we do that take our word for it listen listen to us describe this sound smart to your friends when they ask about this movie and just pretend you watched it but uh sorry spike um actually not no sorry. i'm not sorry <laughs> uh, so so one of the the big conflicts in the film one of the only real conflicts in the film is that dap very much does not like fraternities and sororities he feels like they control and change people it's hinted at that he washed out of one um early on and did not make it but his cousin, who's played by Spike Lee, known as Half Pint. I don't even know if we learned Half Pint's real name because characters given no interiority. Um, you know, his 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 little cousin is trying to pledge 
into Giancarlo Esposito's character's um, fraternity. They are treating him like absolute crap. They keep on trying to deny him. They threaten to deny him a mission for being a virgin and trying to make trying to make him prove that he can bring back a girl and seal the deal. This all kind of kind of escalates to the point where Giancarlo. Oh, I'm trying to think of. Um, what is his actual name? Julian. Julian? The character's name. Um, I yeah. think it's Julian. Yes. Or the big brother almighty, um, as he's referred to frequently in the movie. Um, oh, my God. Yeah. You got to uh, do the whole hand motion, though. <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, that's why I know I could never I could never pledge. But, you know, Julian is dating the the, the queen bee of the uh, of the the mass sorority, Tisha Campbell's character, Jane, and basically just decides to throw her away. He decides he's done with her and offers her up as a gift to his pledge after he successfully passes and gets initiated into the fraternity. And they force her to go up with he, he forces her to go up into the bone room. Um, and I can't believe that that's real. And <laughs> that's the thing I have to say to the bone room with like the the scoreboard outside of sexual conquests. And I'm waiting for the part of the story where, oh, right, Half Pine gains some moral clarity and doesn't do the obviously horrific thing that he's about to do to a crying woman who is not clearly on board with this and you know feels pressured into doing something she doesn't want to do. And no, there there is no like good side of it coming out. The terrible thing just happens. Everybody, <laughs> everybody leaves sad. I, I was really in shock because there was part of me that I... Maybe I blocked out how bad that part was, but it was worse than I can probably, I'm probably putting into words right now. I'm describing this pretty awfully. It's worse. Like it's, it's just flat out worse. It is like I said, she oh, so hard. hard and basically makes, makes out as if she somehow cheated on him and like did this on her own only because she's obsessed with the fraternity and doesn't love him anymore and blah, blah, blah. And basically like just cast her out of the house entirely. Which is super painful to watch after a thing you just watched, which was also painful. I mean, the whole movie is painful to watch, frankly. But these are painful yeah. in a completely different way. First watching her have to go through what really is just coerced rape, in a way. Because she feels like she has to. Right. And then afterwards to be gaslighted by the person she did it for, that she loves, who she thought loved her. Who doesn't even really care. He's just sort of doing it. Right. And what's annoying is that that, for some reason, becomes, like, the emotional depth and, like, major climax of the film, only for the movie to go into weird directions afterwards, where it just kind of, like, like, Half Pint goes to Lawrence Fishburne and tells him what happened, because he's excited that he's in the club now, so to speak, and when he mentions what happened with the girl, Lawrence Fishburne gets mad at him, and then runs around campus waking everyone up. And it's just such a weird thing that becomes actually not about her at all. So the thing that should be like his wake up call to the campus about like, look at the kinds of things you're doing should actually be more about her and what happened to her. And it's not at all. Like, it's just completely a weird transition moment where I feel like I was being gaslighted. Like the movie is gaslighting me. <laughs> One of the terrible things about this film. It's gaslighting you, the audience, as well. The thinking that it actually had something to say when actually it's just trash. Like Spike Lee was trying to like like I mentioned earlier that Spike Lee didn't make this movie for a, a white audience, which is one of the reasons why I always found it interesting that he made that kind of that that kind of move early in his career. 
But in truth, this movie is really for him. It's not even really for us. Because like you said, the focus isn't on what happened to Trisha Campbell's character, who's really had the tragic thing. Things happen to her multiple times in this movie and is the one most materially harmed. But instead, what we see as a, the wake up call is, see, now you're doing things like like you, black man, are doing things like these other people and have lost your own way. That is the thing you need to wake up from, not the like stop committing sexual violence part. It really feels like the wake up call is broader directional thing and not the, hey, stop doing bad stuff. Right. Well, that message is delivered by, again, Lawrence Fishburne, whose character actually gets accused of being colorist himself through the film by his own girlfriend. And that's never actually addressed either. So you don't even have a person who really can authentically deliver any of those messages because he himself is doing the same things that he's kind of accusing others of doing. So the situation with Jane was so frustrating to me that there wasn't like resolution to that. Like I just, I felt like you're doing your character and your audience a disservice to basically leave a character with, Oh, like your entire world has been ruined. And then the next time we see her, she's just awkwardly standing outside after being woken up. But a way that you might be able to make that work is if they made a second movie with Jane and the and Dap's girlfriend, whose name I can't remember right now. Rachel. Basically joining up and burning the school down. And then we get like a Thelma and Louise movie where they just like go wreck shop all over the place. That movie I would watch. Yeah, at some point in there, you find out that they actually did divest from South Africa um, and just nobody else like noticed because nobody came back to the meeting. Sorry, I'm still really salty about that now. Think about it. That whole plot, even the inclusion of the administrators, like they were just there. It's just, like just in the background. I was like, hey, we're we we're here. We exist. It's like the movie completely had to change directions in the middle of it. In order to, like, not piss off, like, the right producer so it could uh, go to theaters. Well, that's part of what's so weird about this film is the first half, it feels like there is a plot and there are themes that you can be very clunkily done, but you can follow them. And then the second half, none of that stuff seems to matter at all. And it disappears entirely and it never gets resolved or comes up again ever. You don't know why the first half was even there. So, like, what did happen in the second half of the film? Did someone lose most of the script? Is this is what's going on? Like... It just became complete. It was like watching like Hancock, frankly. You're like halfway through. What just happened? What film is this? I thought I was watching a completely different movie. No, we've got an eight minute long sequence of a live performance of doing the butt. I forgot this movie and made that song popular. I'd forgotten about that song entirely. And then it started. I was like, no, what? Okay. (laughs) I actually walked away to like get water. And like turned the TV down so I didn't hear that song. And then I just I caught like a little bit of it. I was like, what's he saying? Oh well, must not be important. And then now like everything's coming together. <laughs> In a weird, like beach themed homecoming, and that they played the entire song and then followed it up with a Phyllis Hyman jazz number. What? <laughs> what happened? My wife came down at that point of the movie, um, and like Ironically enough, of all the parts of the movie she came down with, that was probably actually one of the most sane, even though it was it was absolutely wild. Um, uh, and she was like, why is there a thing? I was like, your answer is as good as mine. I mean, I just really wish I could remove that part from my brain. Okay, so uh, I got to 
make a confession. The uh, debut scene, favorite, my favorite part of the movie. Uh, <laughs> I love, I love that song. It's ridiculous. I had no idea it came from this movie. Um, and like, if you could just cut that part out, I'd be fine. I could just watch that. <laughs> like, I'd be okay with it. The rest of it is ridiculous. The the beach theme. The, the my wife asked me, do they have homecoming dances in college? Because she didn't go to one. And I was like, you know, I don't think so. I don't think this is the thing that I remember going to, especially not a beach themed one. But the butt is a great song. I don't care what anyone has to say. I, I felt like the the step show was like thematically thematically appropriate and ironically enough super short too short um whereas they gave the giant party scene so long and there's just like i imagine there's just some steady cam operator that had like six hours of b-roll of people's lower backs because that's apparently where the camera was aimed not even on the butts just like Thanks. lots of shiny lower backs size but never actually on the butts and in a movie full of black people it was a weird choice to make I will say, though, like, I do love steps, but I kind of wish that there had been a longer, like, more step sequences. I was looking forward to that once I realized they were doing, like, a whole fraternity sorority bit. And I was like, oh, great. And then it got nothing satisfying out of that, really. And so we had, like, eight-minute-long sex scenes that were weird and then, like, the entirety of the song to butt. (laughs) Yeah. So, so, like, in the, what if you're listening, what you should watch instead of this movie is... There's lots of other movies you could you could watch. They'll probably all be good. But go watch some like some uh, some some black fraternity and sorority step con- step compilations on YouTube. Those will make you feel better about the historically black college uh, and university experience than this movie will. Also, the black Greek experience as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, just go watch like a different world or Drumline or pretty much anything else. Actually, this is the only one I wouldn't recommend. But it was all like if this wasn't the first, it was one of the first. So I guess we're we're thankful that this convinced someone to give other people money to do this idea better, which is I guess faint praise, but still praise. This movie make money? Believe it or not, it did. This movie more than earned out. I want to say that it earned like fourteen million. How much of that was guilt buying though, or black people that were excited because it had all their favorite black actors at the time and. Were horribly disappointed afterwards, but couldn't get a refund because it would look bad. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I'm pretty sure that this, like, you know, they, they sent you your tax return after you filed on April 15th, and it just came with a copy on VHS <laughs> of school days. And so, you know, your tax dollars. I wonder what our 2020 tax, or sorry, 2021 tax returns are going to come with, other than regret. So like they just had bins of this at, like, certain McDonald's and more urban areas, right? Like, when you got a Happy Meal, they just pulled us out of the bin. You also got school days to go with it. No, you got it with your Kentucky Fried Chicken. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, fair. Right. The the product placement, because we had legit KFC product placement in this you know, movie. That felt authentic. I was like, yeah, I remember being a black family and using going to KFC. It's okay. Everybody pile in the car, go to KFC, have a fight with a bunch of old heads. They have oh, really yeah. good biscuits, okay, in their defense. Or they did, well, I guess well, I haven't been there a long time. Anymore. Yeah, not anymore. Did. Don't ruin it for me. I haven't been there for like then, 20 years, so I'm just going to remember the biscuits as they were. Uh, Just go to Popeye's. K- K- KFC. Yeah. Yeah. Shame. I was going to say, KFC being completely out of one half of their chicken inventory is the most accurate thing that they put in the movie. 
not campus life, but really the 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 lazy, barely paying attention, barely paying attention teller, KFC being out of chicken. That is that itself is black excellence. That is the true experience. Yeah, every chicken spot in the hood. <laughs> I about died when they said, "What did you ask us?" Oh man, that's like so spot on. Well, I think we should probably wrap up because I don't think that there's a ton more that we can say positively. About I do have this one movie. thing. I have one positive thing. Well, I don't know if it's positive about the movie. It's something about the movie put <laughs> that way. But we haven't actually addressed when we were talking about all the amazing people that are in this film who later went on to do much better things in this film. One of them included Ossie Davis, plays the coach. Right. And so Ossie Davis is a national goddamn treasure, uh, first of all. But secondly, he plays like a whole, he has a whole like black preacher style speech in the locker room before the football game that they don't actually ever show you any part of. For one thing, they only show you the audience reactions to the <laughs> that team made losing me so horribly. Mad. Oh, <laughs> it was a weird. I actually was okay with that choice. But this is fascinating. You're just getting the yeah. audience perspective. It, it was hilarious, but it was weirdly obvious that they just couldn't afford to do the whole football thing somehow or didn't want to. But Ozzie Davis's whole little speech in his full-on black preacher cadence to the football team was also oddly realistic, and I was totally here for it. It was the two minutes of the movie I enjoyed. That scene was really good. That that was a situation where my wife asked me, do all uh, black football coaches speak like black preachers? And I, my response was, of course they do, because that's the way you get people hype. Right. All black people, I think, can speak like black preachers when given the right motive, which is essentially getting someone amped up. Like you just kind of like lean into it and it's fine. Right. It's not just Obama. It's just a, just a general trait. That cadence is part of our ancestry. It is the our older birthright. you get, the more you lean into it. You just gotta lean into it. That was it. I, I guess that you know, if you're someone who's digging deep into Spike Lee's repertoire, I don't necessarily even know where to place this. Watch this if you're feeling too hopeful about <laughs> about Spike Lee movies, <laughs> like and need to get brought back down to earth. It's a hard come down, man. I don't know. Watch Girl Six if you feel like you need to come down a little bit but not too far. Right. And then maybe like just work your way down the ladder. Don't just go straight to the bottom. Oh, actually, wait, I, I'm, I'm going to reverse my wrap up and say, I will want to ask you all whether you think the ending sequence is real or whether it's just some wacky dream sequence. Well, to be fair, we don't know if any of this movie is real, um, <laughs> but uh, we're hoping it's not. I would personally say it's as real as the dance number good hair bad hair dance number whatever that was called i think that spike lee wanted it to be impactful especially the way that lawrence fishburne like ends turning to the audience it, it almost feels like a cast call from like a play or something because like all the actors come out but they're not their characters anymore they don't have the relationships or responses that they would have if they were still in character. So clearly it was just like, here's everyone who was in this movie and now we're going to leave you with a message. And so whether or not it was a dream, I think kind of doesn't matter, but, uh, but I'm just going to assume the entire movie was a dream and that w what actually happened is someone in the opening scene got knocked out and they just made everything else up. See, I think you missed the moment. I think it was the actual real fight at the step dance that somebody got knocked out in. You know, all these all these are plausible. 
there's a bunch of points of this movie where like that would just explain why like we never dealt with apartheid just completely unresolved <laughs> like just that whole just that whole apartheid thing but the reason i bring it up is because like so he screams wake up at the end of this movie over and over again yelling into the camera and famously that is how do the right thing the third Spike Lee joint starts up and do the right thing is often held up as like the quintessential spike movie and after watching this it it definitely feels like a, where he's figured something out you know like maybe he's gotten some things out of his system in this movie that helped do the right thing be good found a better use for bill nunn than just like awkwardly dancing with the woman you know like, i think that that transition implies that there's all all the spikes works share connections some of them intentional, some of them not. And if nothing else, you know, if you're thinking about watching Do the Right Thing Again or watch it for the first time, it might be interesting to watch these back to back. If I ever force myself to watch this movie again, which might not happen, I would consider it doing it back to back with Do the Right Thing. That's an interesting idea, actually. It is, except for the part where you watch this movie again. Yeah, not that part, yeah. but <laughs> the part about Do the Right Thing starting up from that same idea, I don't know. It's interesting. Almost certainly, if that was intentional, it was Spike Lee trying to retroactively make school days not terrible. But I'm not convinced that it was intentional. I think it was just too clever by half. And like, that's almost all Spike Lee stuff is him trying to be way too clever. Sometimes it works. Some Most of the times it leaves a lot wanting for me. And I'll give my end thoughts today and pass it on to everybody else. My end thought is summed up by a quote from the movie. Dap is getting really militant about wanting to keep fighting the good fight and even though even if he gets kicked out of school and one of his boys says in life there are times to be quiet and times to shut the fuck up this is one of those times to which i also want to just turn to the well not turn to the camera turn to the microphone and say spike there are times to be quiet and generally speaking sexual politics it's time for you to probably just shut the fuck up James, what did you, like, your final thoughts for the movie? I don't know that I need anything more. That was pretty, pretty spot. I kind of expressed what I thought throughout. This uh, movie's not good. But if you really want to watch every Spike Lee movie, I guess you have to watch this one. So just be ready. Andre? Oh, I was going to say, Lauren, go ahead. I also think that Ryan's last thoughts were pretty spot on. I will say in a slightly different direction than all the complaints I've made this far, which I stand by wholeheartedly. So, you know, Spike, if you're listening to this, you should feel bad. It was bad and you should feel bad. That said, you've done all the good things. So I still have respect for you, just not about this movie. But I will say one thought I had when watching this movie is I do actually love any vehicle which, like, has Kadeem Hardison somewhere in it because Dwayne Wayne forever in my opinion. Like, honestly, for some reason, I just love seeing him in things cracks me up. Except for things like uh, the weird vampire movie he was in. But even that, still weirdly charming. So the movie had at least that going for it. Has a great cast, even if they're horribly abused through the entire thing. About as much as the audience. Don't watch the film. It's not worth it. Read the literature about the film. Don't actually watch it. See, I wouldn't even say read the literature. Like, if, like, some of the themes in this movie, talking about uh, Greek life, sexual uh, violence or sexual assault on campus or on college campuses, blackness, like, if these things matter to you, just go watch Higher Learning. They do, it, like, it handles all of those topics way better. 
And like this, watching this just makes me want to go watch Higher Learning just so I can watch that, like, the bad taste out of my mouth. I, I'm looking at your Zoom background and reminded that Dap Dunlap, Fishburne's character, has a kente cloth armband and just shaking my head. Again, it's an audio podcast, but you can trust me, I'm shaking my head. Yeah, like I, I think that this movie left a lot, whole lot on the table, but I am glad that it did give us a, a reason to talk about some of these themes. I'm hopeful that some of our future movies will be a little more joyful than than school days. I think we've had a couple rough ones. Like we had us and then school days, and both of those left me feeling uneasy for different reasons. Um, but what is our next movie? Good hair. The the Chris Rock special. So. So join us on our next podcast. We'll be we'll be watching Good Hair, which this holiday season is available on YouTube for free. If you choose to ignore our advice and watch School Days, you can find it on Netflix um, as well as Amazon Prime and um, Apple TV for rent. But thank you all for joining us on the Black Movie Podcast. You can catch more of our episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever podcasts are found, I guess. Uh, but thank you all and. Have a good evening. I move a variety of places with a variety of races forward thinking. Thank you for listening to the Black Movie Podcast. Our show is edited by Mike Knight. Our theme song is by Chris Negro Justice Brown. And our logo was created by Savannah Alexander. Even if you never heard of me, just know I murder bees. Leave all these kids with third degrees. Evidence is empirically laid out in front for you to see. I found the Trinity, good people, we the memories, these are the only things I need.